to uh, go back over some of the announcements for our YouTube audience. Uh, next week, again, we are changing the times of our service. We'll begin meeting at 1045, and from 1045 to 11, we'll have our morning worship service. From 11 to 11.15, we'll have a time for fellowship, and you'll notice in your bulletin that there is a sign-up sheet out in the foyer for people to uh, help bring some refreshments for that fellowship time. Um, the church is providing the space, the time, and the coffee, and some hot water if you want tea. Uh, but that's at 9.45. You sure I said 10.45? 9.45 to 11 is a Sunday morning worship. 11 to 11.15 is the fellowship time. Then from 11.15 to noon is our Sunday school time. So let me say that again so I have it right. Worship begins at 10. <clears throat> um... Maybe somebody else needs to do this. <laughs> Wait. Worship begins at 9.45 and goes to 11. Fellowship begins at 11 and goes to 11.15. And then Sunday school begins at 11.15 and goes to noon. Okay. If you got any questions, don't call me. I obviously have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Also, uh, again, the ladies' um, Bible study is meeting in, the, in the, your bulletin. It says June 14th. That should be June 15th. Um, the week rolled over, and, and um, it didn't shift to the Tuesday. So it's Tuesday, June 15th, uh, 10 a.m. So all the ladies are invited out for that. Um, again, if anybody's interested in baptism, you'll need to see me this week. This week. Uh, for that, and um, then also on uh, June 27th, on June 27th is when we're going to have our baptism, and um, we'll have the baptism, and then after the uh, regular services of the church, we're going to have a meal together. It's in the bulletin uh, there. Uh, then uh, for our, our church, uh, you know, you're invited back at 2.30 for the uh, vow, the renewal of the vows of Conway and Anne. So you're invited to that, and there'll be a, a reception after that. I also want to mention on the 15th as well, there's a deacon's meeting, a deacon's meeting that uh, evening. Okay, I don't, uh, I don't, let me put that away before I mess anything else up with that. Okay. Well, we're coming to the end. We're at the end of the book of Acts. And by my count, this is the 76th message that we've had on the book of Acts. Uh, we started May 5th, 2019. Okay. May 5th, 2019 is when we started. And we're going to finish next week. So we have one more sermon after this one. So just over two years to get through the book of Acts. And uh, that's not too bad. Paul, Paul spent that much time in jail in Caesarea. Okay. So uh, 
We're coming to the end of the book, and, and here we, we have this historical account that Dr. Luke has been very careful to investigate and record, and, and even at times gives us the eyewitness perspective. He was there. He saw what was happening. And before we get into our passage this morning, I want to walk you through four ways that you can understand the entire book of Acts. Okay, four ways. I'm going to give you, this is in your notes, so you need your notes right there. So put a finger or something here at the uh, end of the book and turn all the way back to chapter one. Turn all the way back to chapter one. I want you to see this because when you see this, when you have it, then you are capable of taking somebody else through the book of Acts. You know how the book of Acts is laid out. So in chapter 1, verse 8, we're, giving, we're given something of a theme verse, a broad outline for the book of Acts. So find uh, chapter 1, verse 8 there in your Bible. This is what it says. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I want you to notice three things here. Power, purpose, and place. Power, purpose, and place. Uh, the power for this ministry that's being given here comes from the Holy Spirit. He's the enabler. You don't have to do it. He helps you. He helps you. The purpose of this ministry is to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to be able to talk to people about our Lord and Savior. The place of this ministry, three places are given. Jerusalem, that's local. Judea and Samaria, that's regional. The end of the earth is global. Global, local, regional, global. And so that's the first way we can look at the book of Acts. The entire book of Acts fits into this verse. A second way we can look at the book of Acts is by places and people. Again, this is in your notes, places and people. In chapters 1 through 7, the ministry is focused in Jerusalem to Jews. In Jerusalem to the Jews. In chapters 8 through 12, the ministry is expanded, expanded to uh, Judea and Samaria, the ministry being focused on Samaritans. Samaritans. In chapters 13 through 28, the ministry is then expanded even more to the end of the earth. And there it's to the Gentiles predominantly. So Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7, and the Jews, Judea and Samaria, chapter 8 through 12, and the Samaritans, and the end of the earth, chapter 13 through 28, Gentiles. A third way we can look at the book of Acts to try to understand how is the book of Acts, the account here unfolding before us, is by the personalities. In the first 12 chapters, the key personality is Peter, is Peter. In the last 16 chapters, the key personality is Paul, the apostle Paul. The fourth and final way we can understand the book of Acts is through the lens of the church. In chapter 2, the church was established at Jerusalem with Jews. 
in chapter 8, the church is expanded to the Samaritans. In chapters 10 through 11, the church is expanded again to include Gentiles. And at this point, there's no ethnic group that isn't included in the church. Even when we get to chapter 19, we find out how those Old Testament saints, people who had trusted in God for their salvation before they heard about Jesus Christ, before Christ came, before they knew about the Messiah, some people had trusted in Jesus Christ. We figure out how they are a part of the church now in chapter 19. Uh, this growth of the church came through the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as people believed, as they were saved, as they became Christians, they gathered together. And those gatherings, those assemblies, are what we call churches. And so let me just say that this series is really only a foundation for your further personal study in the book of Acts. We have not covered everything. We have not given adequate attention and time to many things. But a foundation has been laid. You have a basic understanding of what's going on in the book of Acts. And you have enough understanding so that there are bits and pieces and maybe the entire thing that you can share with someone else who's wondering, how did the church get started? How did the, the, the gospel expand so quickly in the first century? You can show them from the book of Acts. And so today, as we look at this last passage in the book of Acts, I'm, I only want to bear down on a few uh, verses uh, this morning. But before I do that, I need to set the context for you because we have to know why is Paul in Rome? Why is Paul in Rome? So in chapter 28, Paul arrives in Rome. So why is he there? And what we see in the preceding chapters, in chapter 20, Paul comes to Jerusalem first to celebrate Pentecost. He's been away for several years, and so he wants to come celebrate Pentecost. In chapter 21, we find out that when he arrives in Jerusalem, he's very careful not to offend any of the Jews. And even though he's careful not to offend any of the Jews, he's still accused of defiling the temple. And so the Jews take him and begin to beat him to death. And while they are doing that, the Romans come out, the Roman soldiers come out, and they arrest Paul in an effort to figure out what is happening here, what is going on here. As we come to chapter 22, Paul is able to address the Jewish crowd there at the temple, but to no avail. The only thing he does is end up provoking them even more. And uh, after that happens, the Romans take Paul into the praetorium where they are getting ready to interrogate him by beating him. They're going to beat him till he talks, up to the point where Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. And then they stop. After this, we see that the centurion or the officer in charge of the Romans, Claudius Lysias, 
holds an evidentiary hearing between Paul and the Sanhedrin. And that ends up in total chaos. The Sanhedrin even start fighting among uh, themselves. We also find out in chapter 23 that there's a murder plot that is set by the Jews against Paul. And so uh, Claudius sends Paul to Caesarea Maritima. And so he travels there and he comes to Felix, the procurator, the Roman procurator, there in Caesarea, and Felix tries Paul. And he tries Paul and finds there's no fault in Paul. There's no fault in Paul at all, but he doesn't render a judgment. He leaves him in prison for two years. He doesn't make a judgment. He just leaves him there. As we come to chapter 25 in the book of Acts, we see that Festus has replaced Felix as the procurator. And Festus tries Paul. And in the course and events of that trial, Paul appeals to Caesar. I want my case heard by Caesar. And so now Paul is going to be sent to Rome to Caesar. And while he's waiting to be sent, he's examined by King Agrippa in chapter 26. Then last week, we saw Paul's travel to Rome. In chapter 27, a trip in which he is shipwrecked, he's almost killed by soldiers, and he's bitten by a poisonous snake. All that happened in chapter 27. And so Paul has now been in Roman custody for over two years, and he finally arrives in Rome, and he's going to get his day in court, but he's not going to get it right away. As a matter of fact, he's not going to get it for another two years. And so in this passage we're going to look at this morning, we're going to find out what is Paul doing while, while he is waiting in Rome to have his case heard. What is he doing? This was Paul's uh, prison uh, ministry. So let's look at these uh, verses. Let me read verses 17 through the end of the chapter. You follow along in your scripture. Acts chapter 28, verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing wrong against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus, 
from both the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, but some disbelieved. So when they, had, when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had spoken one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So let's look at our immediate context here, starting in verse 17. We find that Paul has been in Rome for three days. And after three days, Paul calls the leaders of the Jews of Rome to talk with them. And then we see at the end of verse 17 through verse 20 that Paul is going to explain to them why he is there in Rome. Uh, first, he declares his innocence uh, from in doing anything wrong or offending the Jews or their traditions. We see that in verse 17. Then he declares his innocence before the Romans. He says, they wanted to let me go. That's verse 18. Then in verse 19, he explains that the circumstances of his trial caused him to appeal to Caesar. That's why he's there, to Caesar. But the underlying reason is found in verse 20. The underlying reason why he is there in Rome is because uh, he stood up for the hope of Israel. You see that phrase there at the end of verse 20? Because for the hope of Israel. Now that phrase, the hope of Israel, refers to an event and a person. The event is the resurrection from the dead, and the person is Jesus Christ who makes that effective. So it's an event, and it's a person, this hope that the Jews had to look forward to. As we come to verse 21, the Jews of Rome tell Paul, we haven't received a letter or a messenger or anything where someone has spoken evil of you. In other words, we don't know anything about your case, Paul. But in verse 22, they go on to say, but we do want to hear something from you. We don't necessarily want to hear about that, but we do want to hear what you think about the sect, the sect that's, that everybody is standing against. And by the sect, they mean what we call Christianity. When they say the sect there, we need to understand that the Jews in Rome viewed Christianity as a segment of Judaism, a segment 
of Judaism. In other words, they said this is just some part of Judaism. Judaism had different sects. There's Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, and Christianity is just one of, one of another sect of Judaism. That's, that's their thought. However, we know Christianity is not just a sect of Judaism. In fact, it is the ultimate development and fulfillment of Judaism. Uh, Judaism leads to Christianity. And so then we see in verses uh, 23 through 29, Paul's message to these uh, Jewish leaders. And as he gives this message to them, their response is divided. It says that some were persuaded and some did not believe. And because of this divided response, the Jews had a discussion among themselves. They had something to argue about and talk about. But the biggest issue for these Jews is what Paul says in verse 28. In verse 28, Paul tells these Jews the salvation of God, the salvation that was going to the Jews is now going to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And he just got done saying, the Jews won't hear it. So now it's going to the Gentiles. And that they didn't like that. So they started debating among themselves and went away. And then the book ends. The book of Acts ends the same way it began. You're probably not back there anymore in chapter 1, so let me just turn there for you and read to you how the book of Acts begins. I'm just going to start in verse 2. It says, Until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. It's talking about Jesus Christ. To whom, that's the apostles, he, Jesus, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The book of Acts begins with Jesus teaching the apostles things about the kingdom of God. Now look how it ends. Verse 31, this is what Paul's doing, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning Jesus Christ. It ends the same way it begins, with the proclamation of the kingdom of God. And so that, that's the groundwork for this passage. Now, I want to draw your attention to verse 25. Draw your attention to verse 25. I usually don't jump around like this as much, but you know how my morning's already started. Uh, <laughs> so verse 25, and I, and I want to uh, draw your attention to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit that we see here in verse 25. I want you to just look at the end of the verse. This is what Paul is saying. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. And I think it's okay to stop 
on this verse and talk about it because for the past two Sunday evenings, we have been talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do that again in our evening uh, message. We'll be talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And people attribute all sorts of things to the Holy Spirit. Some come from the Bible, some not. But out of all the things we know about the Holy Spirit, there's probably not many that are as clear as the doctrine that is stated here about the Holy Spirit's relationship to the scriptures. It is the Holy Spirit who is connected to the giving of the scriptures. The scripture, the Bible, comes to us from the Holy Spirit through men, Isaiah in this case. So the human writer is a tool. He's sort of a middleman between the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. And so when Paul attributes this Old Testament quotation that we find in verses 26 through 27 comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When Paul attributes that quotation, he doesn't say, Isaiah the prophet said. He says, the Holy Spirit spoke. The Bible is the word and words of God. And so when we look at this and we see that the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah, and we can put any other biblical writer in there, uh, what conclusions should we make? And the first conclusion that we're going to make is that the Bible is inspired. In other words, the Bible is from God. God has given us the Bible. The words of the Bible are the words of God. Scriptures originated with God the Father. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And the scriptures come through the Holy Spirit who gives it to men who write them down. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. So they originate with the Father, and the Father gives them to men by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit speaks through the writers of Scripture. That's the first conclusion. The Bible is the words of God. These are his words. They're not King James words. They're not the words of the writers of Scripture, although they wrote them. These are the words of God. And the second conclusion I want you to see here is in that some way, same, some shape or fashion, the writers of Scripture have been inspired by the Holy Spirit when they wrote. In some way, I mean, we might use another word other than inspire, but the Holy Spirit was working through them when they wrote the Scripture. We see that here, and we see it in the first, or the, excuse me, the second Peter chapter 1 passage. And so what implications? Those are some conclusions that come, but what's the implications? How does this come down to us today? Two implications. Number one, to ignore, reading and studying the Bible is to ignore what God has communicated to us and for us. So to ignore reading our Bible, if these are the words of God, if this is God's word, to ignore it, to not read it, to not study it, is to ignore what God has written to us, his message to us. 
God knows the beginning from the end. He's perfectly wise. And he has communicated all the wisdom that he wants us to know in this life right here in his word. And you know, on one level, everybody, saved or unsaved, can profit from the wisdom of the word of God. Think about it. If everybody lived according to the book of Proverbs, how much strife, chaos, and conflict would be avoided? Just if people lived, everybody lived according to Proverbs. But on another level, the understanding of the Bible only is for believers, the wisdom of God. The world views God's wisdom as uh, foolishness, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But the thing that should really impress our minds is that if we neglect, if we ignore reading, knowing, and understanding the Bible, we are ignoring, neglecting, and overlooking the knowledge that God has communicated to us about himself, about our relationship with him, and how we are to live pleasing to him. And you know when we do that, when we don't read our Bible, when we don't study our Bible as believers, we are handicapping ourselves. Do you know that? We're doing that to ourselves. Uh, the Bible says that it's living and powerful and that it pierces right to the issues of the heart, right to our issues, whatever it may be. The Bible, when we read it, pierces right to it. But it doesn't do it unless we read it and understand it. And so when we ignore the Bible, when we don't read it, when we don't understand it, we are, we are at least delaying God's solution for our issues, at least delaying. Uh, when you think about reading the Bible and studying the Bible, you need to think of it as going to the gym and not going to the ER. Okay? Why do you go to the ER? Because you got a problem you cannot fix and you don't know what to do about it and you need help right now. And when you go to the ER, what do they do? Do they solve your problem at the ER? No, most of the time they don't. They might provide a little bit of comfort, but it's usually much longer after that that you figure out what the real problem is and what the real solution is. That's not how we want to approach reading the Bible. We don't want to approach reading the Bible as a 911 emergency room visit. We want to approach reading and studying the Bible as going to the gym. Now, you can tell I go to the gym all the time. <laughs> but when you go to the gym, I'm speaking from past experience. When you go to the gym, you're strengthening yourself spiritually, right? When you go to the gym of God's word, you're strengthening yourself spiritually so that when you have those times of difficulty... When you have those times of challenge, whether spiritually or physically, you have built yourself up spiritually through the Word of God. The Word of God is a reservoir. Water is, all, is always there. If you're studying the Bible and reading the Bible, the water is there. And when you're thirsty, you just take a drink. It's not a well. If it's a well, you know what you got to do? you got to go pump it. you got to go pump it to get the water out. If we approach our study and reading of the Bible 
as a reservoir, every time we, we study God's word, every time we read it, we are putting water into that reservoir. And so when we need the help, wisdom, and power of God, it's right there. It's right there for us. So let me encourage you, if you're not reading the Bible, if you're not reading the Bible, start now. Start slow, a little bit at a time. You'd be, you'll be surprised. If you start reading your Bible just a little bit every day, how, how fast you will advance and you'll start reading more and more of the Bible. But you have to start. You have to start. If you're not studying the Bible, and I mean studying the Bible itself, start today. It's never too late to start today. Start now. And the best way to do that, the best way to start studying the Bible, is come to church. Every time we have something to come to, come to church. Then you can take these notes. I don't print these notes out just because I have to print notes out. These notes are printed so you can use them throughout the week. You can look at those notes and think about the message from Sunday and look at the passage and study it for yourself. And we can all do that. So that's the first implication. If the Bible is the Word of God, and it is, then we can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. The second implication is to not obey the Bible. If we don't obey the Bible, we are being disobedient to God. So I think most of us here today are in that boat of we know a good deal about what the Bible says. We don't know everything, but we know a lot. We've heard good Bible teaching over the years. We know something about what the Bible says, but I bet most of us, while we struggle knowing some things, our biggest struggle is doing what we know to do. And so a question comes up, why do we struggle so hard with obeying the Bible? Why do we struggle so hard doing what we know to do? The Bible tells Christians to love one another. I'll bet money there's somebody sitting here who's struggling loving another believer. Guarantee it. The Bible tells us to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Anybody struggle with that one? To count it all joy in the middle of a trial? The Bible tells us we're to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So if we would go around the room and ask, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? Would we all have a name of somebody? We need to be obedient to the word of God. We need to not just know it, we need to do it. And so these are the implications from this doctrine of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets. The Bible is the word of God. It cannot be ignored and we must obey it. That's my introduction. <laughs> By the way, on your notes there, Roman numeral number two, that's next week. Okay, when I was studying this, instead of a three-hour sermon, I thought I would divide it up. So Roman no numeral number two is next week. So um, this morning, I want to focus... Now that we're into the sermon itself, on, on verses 23 through 24 and verses 30 through 31. These are the verses I really want to bear down on 
this morning. Um, And these are the verses that give us the content of Paul's preaching for two years. We know what Paul preached for two years. He preached the same thing over and over and over again. Think about that variety of preaching, non-existent with the the Apostle Paul. He preached the same thing over and over again. And and there's two things I want us to see in these four verses. Number one, what we're going to look at today is Paul's method of communication. Paul's method of communication. And number two, we'll see this next week, Paul's message communicated. Paul's message communicated. In verse 23, we have a record of a particular event. If you look at verse 23 there, this is the record of a particular event when the Jewish leaders came uh, to Paul. In verse 31, we have uh, what took place continually for two years. So this took place for two years in verse 31. Preaching and teaching is what Paul did. In verse 23 we find out that many of the Jewish leaders came to where Paul was on the day that they had scheduled, and Paul explained to them the kingdom of God and Jesus using the law and the prophets. So he used the Old Testament to talk to them about Jesus. And the response was mixed. Some believed, some didn't. In in verses 30 and 31, we find there's a different audience Instead of it just being the Jewish leaders, it's everybody who came to him. There is a different time. It wasn't a set day. It was this two-year period, two whole years that Paul was doing this. But even though there's a different audience and a different time, it's the same message. It's the same message. Do you see that when you look at verse 23 and verse 31? The same message, the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ is what Paul is going to be uh, communicating. And so let's look at Paul's method of communication here in verse 23. Starting in verse 23, there's three words. Okay, you should see this in your notes. There's three words that are used to describe Paul's method of communication. Those three words are explain, preach, and teach. Explain, preach, and teach. So in verse 23, we see the word explained. It says this, to whom he explained solemnly testifying of the kingdom of God and persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. So this is the method that Paul uses with the Jewish leaders of Rome. He explains to them. Now, what does it mean to explain? Well, the the Greek word from which we translate the word explain is ektithemi, and it means to put outside, to put outside. So think about taking your trash out. Your trash is on the inside of the house, and you ektithemi it, you take it, Outside is to move from the inside to the outside. It means figuratively to expose. So if you take something and you take it out of your house and you put it out in your yard, you're exposing it to all the elements, aren't you? You're exposing it to the weather. And this word means that or has that idea. However, the idea here 
Now, the idea of this word here is to expose the meaning of something, to expound it, to explain it. And to explain something means to make it clear, make it plain, make it understandable. So whatever topic Paul is explaining, and we're, again, we'll look at that next week, he is going to make this topic clear and understandable going point by point, point by point. In this case, we know he's going to use the Old Testament, so he's going to go book by book explaining what he wants these Jews to understand. Now, we also find in verse 23 two more words that tell us how Paul explained. How Paul explained. And these two words are the words testifying, testifying, and persuading. So do you see that there? It says, to whom he explained, main verb, solemnly testifying, that should be an ing word, testifying of the kingdom of God and persuading them concerning Jesus. So testifying and explaining. So what does it mean to testify? Well, this word testify comes from the word where we get the word martyr. Uh, martyr martyria, martyr, martyria is a Greek word. Martyr is the English word. You can hear the relationship. This word comes from that, and it simply means to give testimony, to give the facts, to uh, state to state the facts. And in this case, it's the emphatic form of giving a testimony. That's why it says in the, King, the New King James and New American Standard, solemnly testify. This is, this is emphasizing his testimony. These are the facts, and these are all the facts. This is the information you need to know. Paul is telling these Jews these are the facts about the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he uses another word, the second word, the word persuading. So Paul explained what he wanted to talk about by giving the facts, by testifying, but he also was persuasive. It says persuading here, uh, literally trying to persuade. If you look at uh, verse 24, you'll see this word show up again. It says, and some were persuaded. And you'll notice in verse 24, this persuaded is being contrasted with disbelieved or unbelieving. So to be persuaded here in some sense means to believe. So they trusted in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior, but some didn't believe. So we have these two words, testifying and persuading. And what Paul is doing is he's taking his explanation and he's moving it from mere information, testifying, to the point of decision, persuading people. So he's not just explaining by giving information. He's explaining by showing them that the only conclusion that they can reach about Jesus Christ from the Old Testament is that he is the Messiah. He's persuading them that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Savior of 
the world. So the method that Paul uses to communicate to the Jewish leaders of Rome is to explain to them how Jesus fits into the Old Testament, how he fits what the Old Testament said. He was taking them beyond the information about the kingdom of God and leading them to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. This must have been a slow and detailed process because it says it took him all day long, from morning until evening. Slow and exhaustive. I want to mention something here briefly about verses 26 and 27. Paul is answering the question, why don't the Jews believe, why don't all the Jews believe, and why am I going to the Gentiles now? The reason that the Jews don't believe, look at what it says, verse 26 this is from the prophet Isaiah. Paul is quoting the prophet Isaiah and applying it to the Jews that he has been ministering to all over the world. It says, go to this people, that's the Jews, and say, hearing you will hear. So they're going to hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. Why? Why, when Paul preaches to the Jews, do they hear and not understand? And why do they see the point that he's making, but don't perceive it? They don't, don't, doesn't really get it. Why? Verse 27. For the heart of this people has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. What is happening here is a direct reflection of the context of Isaiah the prophet's ministry. Uh, before Isaiah the prophet began to preach his message, before that happened, for at least 200 years, the children of Israel had turned their back on God for at least 200 years, turning away from God. Just look at the book of Kings, First and Second Kings. You see it all over the place. The wicked, wicked people, they're turning away from God instead of turning to God. And so God has called Isaiah to preach a hard message, not a soft message. Not a message of salvation, but a message of judgment. And he's telling them, this is coming upon you because you have stopped up your ears, you have shut your eyes, you have closed off your heart to the Lord. And so now the Lord is telling you judgment is coming. You've made a choice. And so this is how Paul is using it. So why don't the Jews that Paul ministered to believe? Because they have turned their heart off to God. They're not listening to God. They're not paying attention to their own scriptures. And so Paul then says, well, I'm going to the Gentiles because they are responding. They will hear. And finally, let me just take you to verse 31 here. Let me get the last two words here. 
First word in Paul's method of communication is explain. The next two words are preaching and teaching. Verse 31 says, Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And so the word preaching here is the Greek word, keruso. It's the word that means to herald. It's the, it's the public proclamation of an official message. However, in this case, Paul is not going out like a herald would to make a public proclamation. Why? Paul's stuck at home. He's in prison. He can't leave his home. But people are coming to him. And as they come to him, anybody who comes to him, he heralds, he proclaims, he declares the kingdom of God. That's a key phrase. Most people have no idea what it means. And we're going to talk about it a lot next week because I want you to understand what is the kingdom of God. It's the message that Jesus preached. It's the message that John the Baptist preached. It's the message that the apostles preached to Israel. What does it mean? It's not the, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyway, that's next week. So Paul is declaring the kingdom of God to whoever comes to him. This, the third word, the final word of this description of Paul's communication method is teaching. Uh, didasco. Uh, this is the idea of not just declaring information. That's, that would be um, what we just saw with K. Russo. It's not that. Um, but it has to do with making the message understandable to the person. So to teach is to make the message understandable. This is a very common word in the New Testament. In fact, it's probably the most, I think it is, the most common description of Jesus Christ's ministry on earth is that he taught. Not that he, not that he proclaimed or uh, preached or did miracles, but that he taught. This was the ministry of the early apostles, and this was the ministry of the early church. What happened in church in the first century? They came together, and the word of God was taught. And here in this context, we see that this teaching involves both evangelism and the edification of the believers. Evangelism of the lost and the edification of the believers. So Paul's method of communication is to explain, is to declare, and to teach. And I hope that's what this pulpit is characterized by. So let me draw this to a conclusion. In verses 23 through 24, the Jewish leaders listened to Paul explain the Bible all day long. How many of us would sign up to go hear somebody talk about one thing for 12 hours in a day? 12 hours straight. How many of us would do that? We would only do it if we were very, very, very interested in whatever was being talked about. I think you would agree with me on that. I mean, if you go to work and they say you got to go to a seminar, you force yourself to do that. But it's not usually for 12 hours a day. We would only voluntarily do that, sign up for that, 
if we were really interested in it. So when I think about this, I think, why do so many Christians find it so hard to sit for an hour to listen to the Word of God being explained? Why? For one hour. You sit longer than that watching TV. One hour is a hard uh, thing for a Christian to do and hear the Word of God explained. And here's some excuses that some people give. The preacher's not interesting. Now, granted, that might be true. Okay? Granted. The preacher might not be interesting. Or they say, well, I'm not interested in that particular thing that he's talking about. Not particular. I'm not interested in the thing that the preacher is talking about. But as Christians, if, if you are a Christian, the one thing you can't say is that the scriptures aren't interesting. You can't say that the scriptures aren't important for me, and therefore I should be interested in it. And you know, as Christians, when we discipline ourselves to get into the scriptures, they become very interesting to us. They're interesting intellectually. They feed your mind. They're interesting practically. They do affect how we live. They impact our daily lives, and they're interesting personally. Talk about our personal relationship with the Lord. They, it's interesting in all of those ways. And so when we think that going to church is boring or uninteresting, what we're actually doing is revealing what's really in our heart. We're saying from our heart, there are other things that are more interesting to me than hearing the Word of God explained. I would rather hear attractive stories. I would rather hear attractive music. I would rather have attractive programs. But they are all secondary. The Word of God is primary. And when you have the Word of God declared and taught, then you can have the application of the Word of God in those things, in music, in fellowship, in prayer, in programs, you can have all of those things. There can be no true, practical application of the Word of God until there's instruction that comes from the Word of God. So today I want us to learn from Paul that no matter what our circumstances are, as long as we have breath in our lungs, whether we're in prison whether we're at home, whether we're at a restaurant, we can tell people about Jesus Christ. Here's Paul, innocent man in prison. Instead of focusing on being wrongly accused, he tells people about the Lord. He focuses on telling people about the Lord. Uh, when I was at Appalachian Bible College, I had the privilege of helping start a Bible college in West Virginia's maximum security prison. And in prison, prison tends to focus people. Most prisoners focus on their case. They want to get it reduced or they want to get it overturned. And so they focus on their case. But when we started that Bible college in the prison, there was a handful of men who instead of being focused on their selves, they wanted to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they committed that every day for four years, they were going to study the scriptures to learn 
how to be prepared ministers in the prison. Antoine, life sentence, at least one life sentence. He was a bad dude. In prison, he was a bad dude. You know what happened to Antoine? Got saved. And he didn't just get saved, he committed his life to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And after that, everybody who he met, he wanted to tell them about the Lord. Larry. Larry was in prison for a long, I can't remember how long his sentence was, but he was going to be in prison for a long time. And he died of cancer in prison. But before he died of cancer, he had the testimony in the inmates, with the inmates and with the staff, that he was a man of the utmost integrity and that he loved the Lord. Larry had been a believer before he came to prison. Through sin, he ruined many, many relationships. While he was in prison, he rededicated his life back to the Lord, and the Lord allowed him to restore some of those relationships before, they, before he died. But here is three men, Paul, Antoine, and Larry, who while they're in prison, focus their attention on serving the Lord. And while we're not in prison this morning, we can learn a lesson from prison. We don't have to let the world take us captive. We can submit ourselves, be voluntarily imprisoned to the Lord and his word and serve him by speaking about him every opportunity that we have. Won't you stand with me? We'll go close in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning for the Apostle Paul. We give you thanks for his dedication to you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit, the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who worked in men to give us your scriptures. Lord, uh, if we really understood all of that and all of what it's taken to give us our Bibles in English, we wouldn't stop praising you just for your word that we have. But we're thankful for Paul and how he proclaimed the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ to everyone who came to see him. Father Paul did not have the option of going out to talk to people. We have that option and ability. So help us to use our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ to enslave ourselves to him, to imprison ourselves to him, and speak to everyone that we meet about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need your help. We know that you have given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that ministry. Help us to rely upon him. Help us to hide your word in our hearts so that we have it when we need it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.